Welcome to Disruption Blueprint with Shannon Spotswood from RFG Advisory. In this podcast, we help advisors grow their net worth, build their businesses, and maximize their independence. We've built an award-winning platform with innovative technology, comprehensive service, and a team of individuals who are experts in their field to serve advisors. Join us for this journey where we explore everything that has to do with running an independent advisor practice as we bring together successful advisors, industry experts, and innovative minds who are on the bleeding edge to challenge the status quo, foster new ideas, and create a path for advisors to unleash their growth potential. Now, on to the show. Okay, I am so fired up. This is going to be one of my favorite episodes. I already know it. Uh, I am incredibly, incredibly proud and privileged to welcome the great Joel Bruckenstein to Disruption Blueprint. Welcome, Joel. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And we're joined in studio here in Birmingham with RFG's very own VP of Technology, Dr. Jordan Hutchinson. Happy to be here. I mean, this really is. Let's get the fintech party started. Um, All right. We're going to get deep into tech today. Joel, you just wrapped your 19th year knocking on the door of the big two zero and most successful T3 conference a few weeks ago in three words, describe it. Three words. That's a challenge. Uh, Cybersecurity, AI, and fun. What was the last one? Fun. Fun. Yes. You know what? If we're not having fun, what's the bloody point of all of it? Exactly. Tell us, um, tell us one thing about T3 that surprised you, and then one thing that confirmed your prior convictions and beliefs about the tech landscape in our industry. Well, I'm really surprised because usually before T3, I know everything that's going to happen or almost everything that's going to happen. So no big surprises. I think a lot of the audience was surprised by uh, the merger news, right? Altruist and... Uh, SSG announced their merger at T3 this year. So I think that was a surprise for a lot of people. I think the other surprise for a lot of uh, attendees was the amount of emphasis that we put on cybersecurity this year. Um, You know, our studies continue to show that advisors are not doing enough and we think it's an existential threat to the business. So we're doing everything we can to educate advisors that they need to do more. you know, I, I don't think it was a surprise that AI was a hot topic um, with everything that's going on with chat GPT and, you know, what's going on with Google. But again, you know, we're not surprised. We know this is coming, but I think just the latest revelations from Google and Microsoft have brought it to the attention of the wider public and, and the wider advisor public that this is going to be a game changer. And if there were a couple of, uh, new firms that launched the T3 that I think surprised a lot of people. One was Nebo, which is at a GMO, and the other was Libretto. I think both of those were very large launches that got really good traction at T3 and a lot of interest. And I have to do a plug for my good friend, uh, Martha Underwood, as the CEO founder of Prism, who also launched into our industry at T3. Yes, she did. And I think she got a lot of attention. All right, Jordan, you were there as well. So what was, uh, you know, what were you most excited about? What surprised you? 
The most exciting for me is I always love going to T3 because there's like Joel was mentioning that people always hold back some kind of press release or they hold back some big news that's going to hit the market that they've been holding close to their chest. And for example, the altruist deal, Jason did a great job of keeping that one secret because I don't think anyone caught word of that. We all thought him doing that merger was so big. It really doubled their size overnight. So that one was huge. And then also for me is the focus on what clients really want, how a lot of the firms are talking about the one page plan. I know that uh, money guide talked about that. And then also the deliverables for so many things is starting to focus heavily. Maybe this is my behavioral finance lens, but they're starting to focus on what clients really want. And so like with advice engagement, that smorgasbord of category has increased so much. So uh, that's really what excites me is just seeing how the difference in deliverables from going to these giant financial plans to now we're going one page plan or an engagement tool that's literally on one screen. And we're yeah, going to dig it. Go ahead. I was going to say, I thought it was great that we had Daniel Crosby there. You know, I was anxious to get him on the T3 stage again. And, um, you know, certainly he's a leader in, in thought, you know, thought leadership and behavioral finance in the industry. And I really do like some of the things that Orion is doing in that area. It's hugely exciting and we're going to you know, dig into that. And I think our most resounding, heck yeah, this is where the industry is headed, is sitting right here across the, the table from me to hire in as VP of tech, someone who is a doctorate in behavioral finance speaks to the lens. And 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 I think we want to spend a good bit of this podcast really exploring the future because Joel, that is, you know, what you're known for as an industry. The reason why, you know, hashtag fintechie is like your identity is you have been consistently looking over the hill of what's going to disrupt and really define the future of the industry. Before we move on, because you mentioned in your wrap, I think it was in a video I saw with wealthmanagement.com for a preview for Wealthstack about cybersecurity and a firm that we've used for some time in Buckler. So I just thought for those that didn't see that, that are listening to this, to hear from you why the work that they're doing, why they won an important award at T3 is so impactful because you used you use language that I would underscore, which is existential threat. Yeah, look, I, I really do think that, you know, especially small to medium-sized firms, they they have somebody who's supposed to be monitoring cyber, but most firms don't have an in-house cyber expert. And a lot of what I have heard in the industry over the last few years comes from compliance people who understand the law and the regulations, but they don't really understand the technology. And I do think they're two separate things. And so, you know, what Buckler really is, is a very comprehensive checklist about everything you're supposed to do and everything you need to document. A lot of advisors don't understand. It's not enough to just do things, right? Everything now is proof-based with the regulators. You can't just tell them, yes, we did it. They're going to say, show me, right? Show me the proof. And Buckler can really serve as your your truth, your proof, right? It prompts you, it asks you who's regulating you. It knows what regulations you then fall under. And it prompts you to do all of the right things and to actually capture it in some way, shape or form, depending on what it is. So if a regulator comes in and says, show me the proof, it's right there. Nothing falls through the cracks. Yeah. 
We'll um, we'll include that in the show notes, a link to them because they're doing some really great work, and we know that it has uh, been impactful for us as we've you know as as we've really implemented in full some of their services. All right, let's talk about. Well, before a- we move on, let me just mention one other thing. They're also spearheading uh, Open VRM, which is, um, you know, I was just previous to T3, I was at an Orion conference and I sat in on a compliance session. So there were com- chief compliance officers from many, many RIA firms there. And the one thing that they said they were really struggling with is actually doing their due diligence on their vendors. And as I'm sure you know, there's yep. a proposed reg with the SEC right now that's going to require everybody to do that. And it's really difficult, again, for all but the largest firms to get responses in a timely fashion from all their vendors. And it's really a big burden on the vendors to be able to respond in a timely fashion. You know, one vendor told me they have two or three full-time people that's just responding to those requests from advisors. And so what OpenVRM is hoping to do is to get all the vendors to post all of their documentation on one website. And then advisors will be able to go on there, say, these are my vendors. These are the, you know, the ones I need information from. The vendor will then get an, you know, an automated message saying, do you approve XYZ advisor to get your documentation? And if they say yes, then the advisor can go to just one website and download everything. So we're encouraging all vendors in the industry to participate in that. And so far, the response has been you know, quite good, but it's going to take a while to get everybody on there. It, it makes a process so much more efficient than yeah. having those people that you have yeah. multiple people hired that literally are responding to emails all day where... Now, from like my perspective, we have a teammate that can go in, pull all documents if we have a new partner or right. if we need to get the updated one for compliance. Yeah. It is, it's a great feature. We love it and we use it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember, you know, rolling back the, the, into a little bit of industry lore. This is an idea that's long overdue. I think it was Fuse number two that Orion hosted where there were some hackathon ideas. And I remember it was like Thunderdome or Cyberdome or something yeah. like that. So, you know, it's long overdue. And hopefully as, as, as you continue advocating and kind of sharing the gospel of the existential threat that there will be coalescence around a standard solution to get it all done. Well, firms like yours need to pressure all their vendors to get on the system and then it'll happen. Well, let's check. <laughs> we'll work on Done. it. We'll work on it. <laughs> Done. All right. Let's turn um, to AI and machine learning. I feel like everywhere you turn right now, there are headlines blaring about chat GBT, including, you know, I have three teenagers. So of course there's some TikToking happening in my house and the the teenagers are very hip to and have done a lot of their own kind of testing of this thing as it relates to homework assistance and having conversations that are really spirited in the classroom with their teachers. Like there are wheels spinning on dimensions and at a velocity that is really hard to keep up. And, you know, the way I would describe it, it feels right now like chat GBT eats the world. We have believed for a long time as part of our philosophy of of being a very tech forward, you know, in pursuit of state of the art, that there was a tremendous amount of advantage 
from leveraging AI tools, not to replace people, but to really enable, you know, the hiring of and, and, and promotion and development of talent at a, at a greater level and taking away mundane non, you know, non-scalable tasks through the use of technology. We've been big supporters from the early days of FP Alpha. Love those guys. Happy to be that happy that they're a part of our tech stack. Um, so I think that's one great example, but in through your lens, Joel, and you mentioned this was, you know, one of your three words to describe T3. How do you think AI, and this is such a broad question, if let's just look at the next, call it 24 months, how do you think AI will impact our industry going forward and where do you see it being most disruptive? Yeah, I mean, I think eventually it's going to change everything. Um, it still is in its early stages. I think some of the smartest people in the world on AI will tell you they don't even know how it's going to play out yet because you can't have, it's just like, you know, to, to use something that maybe an advisor would understand, it's kind of like, you know, doing, trying to build a portfolio with an optimizer that's unconstrained, right? If there's no constraints on it, you're going to get really ridiculous results. And to some extent, it's the same thing with AI. You know, I think where you'll see the impact immediately is in search. I mean, in, in the very near future, search the way you think of it traditionally in Google search is going to go away. It's all going to be, you know, based on AI. But, you know, I just tried to do a few searches the other day and, and I got some ridiculous responses, right? On the other hand, I don't know if you saw it, like a month ago, I asked, um, I asked um, Chet, GPT to write an article, which I posted online, and I needed to do some light editing, but it did, you know, a really good job because it was something it was very familiar with. So I think the topics matter. But I think client service is one area where clearly it's going to help a lot creating agendas. One thing it can do today really well is, you know, if you have extensive client notes and you want to do an executive summary, for example, of those notes, Things like that, I think it can do really well and it's going to get smarter over time. But I think eventually, you know, things like reconciliation, which I know you guys struggle with, like everybody else, um, is going to get a lot better and it'll be able to do those sorts of things. Um, I talked to a company just yesterday that's in the startup phase that really wants to use it for everything from portfolio construction to rebalancing to doing what I would call basic financial planning. So I think all of those things are possible, but we're not there yet because, again, you need to put some guardrails and constraints around the AI. I don't know if you saw just recently Bloomberg, you know, is, is announced that they're building right. sort of their own um, chat GPT for finance. So it'll just use their proprietary data, and, and I think it'll use it in some very innovative ways. So all of this is happening, but it's all in the very early stages. It's not going to displace advisors tomorrow. I think we know, you, you look, you asked about FP Alpha and you mentioned what they're doing. Again, that's a very constrained set of you know, factors that they have in there that it's working with. And the intellectual property that's in there was created by human experts. So we know right, right. it's good, right? But if you just put it out on the internet and told it to do the exact same thing, it wouldn't work as well today. In the future, it may. And so, you know, it's evolving very rapidly. I think there's tremendous change going on. Another firm I'll mention is Catchlight, which came out of Fidelity Labs. 
you know, they're using AI for um, basically lead gen. So I think lead gen is, is a really, you know, interesting, productive way of using it that you can do today. I think a lot of the blog posts that advisors write, quite frankly, they don't do a great job. Probably ChatGPT can do a better job on writing blog posts than a lot of advisors today. And I think over time, that'll only get better. So yeah, it, it's happening. Don't ask me where it's going. I just know it's going to be very disruptive. Jordan, what do you think? I think that's a sign that we're in the middle of some kind of big change or innovation is that we don't know. And it's yeah. like, you know, with certain roles, there's roles that we will hire for or we will create that don't exist today. It's the same right. situation where we don't know how it's all going to be used. But I love the fact that um, that we're all constantly trying it out. I mean, even my practice development team is trying different methods in all because all the software is re- releasing it. Notion has one. All these different products are having it. Microsoft has their own versions. Like there's different AI tools that are coming out. But I love FP Alphas. And I think that one of the biggest things about it is how it just leverages some of the those lack of efficiencies in the financial planning process. And even it makes them a better advisor because a lot of advisors might be asset gatherers or investment focused. Well, now they can add this AI piece and be more comprehensive. Because now they can review that PNC policy through FP Alpha, and that might be something that wasn't part of their toolkit, but now have an AI to review that, send you a snapshot and push them. And it sounds like I'm pitching, pitching FP Alpha. It is in our stack, but um, um, I'm not getting any uh, re- commissions from this. So <laughs> this is not paid advertising. <laughs> it's not paid by it. But that's one of those big values is that it's taking something that's difficult that might not be in their toolkit that they can add it. So it truly leverages their ability to now be with the experience. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to find the name of some other AI product I was looking at. That's really interesting. Essentially what it does is, you know, when you, you can record a conversation, like we could record this, for example, and then a, AI runs on top of it. And what it does is it gives you an executive summary of what this was about. Right. Um, you know, so there's, I think it's called Otter. Otter AI is yeah. the one I'm thinking of, yeah. right? So there's yeah. a lot of tools that are for, you know, specific use cases already. And I think, you know, when you constrain it and say it's for a specific use case, those things will develop faster because they're more limited. Mm-hmm. But over time, this thing is just going to explode. So Joel, we were having, Jordan and I were having, and, and Brian Hamburger and I actually were having this conversation as well, because it wasn't on your initial list as you went through like the immediate um, use cases for AI, but I see a big lift in compliance as it relates particularly to marketing regulatory review Absolutely. and helping advisors and firms to you know, interpret that new SEC rule. It's so comprehensive and it's, it's not going to displace those roles within the team, but if you could really give a jump start to your compliance, you know, people who are having to go through and and review all this that it's been through an AI filter, it's going to supercharge their time by, you know, 50% at least. Sure. Yep. No, I agree. Anything like that where you have big documents you have to go through, you know, research, investment research is another one, right? Yeah. So if you get these 20-page reports or more from analysts and then you kind of want to get to what's the meat of it, AI can do that today. Yeah. So Jordan, I want to ask you this question and then Joel, I want you to kind of interact with it, which is, 
you're thinking about RFGs, 3.0, tech stack, as we really pursue a leadership role as a disruptor and a passionate embracer of technology. So what do you see as the biggest areas of change as it relates to the advisor and the client over the next three years? You talked about your time at T3 and what you took away from that was, I don't want to use your exact, you know, your, it, it's now focused on what the client wants. So what are you thinking about as you're imagining 3.0 tech stack for us? Yeah. One of the biggest, so I think two things come to mind at the, at off the top of my head, but one of them would be personalization. I really think, you know, it's been kind of a buzzword for a while, but I think it's actually coming around and AI allows that, but definitely with personalizing the experience with your clients to really being able to focus on what is their values, what is important to them, what do they want from this relationship? I think a lot of the products that are coming out in the tech stack that advisors have ability to, you can even specialize to where what stage of life they're in. So there's now where, say, Money Guide or eMoney ends, there's now a product that can continue on like an income lab or something of that sort. So yep. that now it it continues on that relationship into a more niche focus of what that life event that person is at. So I love that we're seeing a lot of those personalization of tools for the advisor that focuses on that area. And then the other one I would say, and I touched on it on the prior question, was simplicity over complexion. And so our, our complicated, the complexity of it. So simplicity over complexity. And so we look at the fintech map, the Kitsis uh, map, and it is... It's just Boom. A yeah, everybody's it's, head explodes. It's turned into this just uh, confusing, just mess of different products. And so, if you're an advisor at a smaller shop, you could spend hours, months. You could almost, you could probably spend an entire year trying to vet, figuring out what products you want to use. Well, they can just hire us to help them figure it out. Exactly. exactly. Or you could come to RFG and we've helped you with that. But uh, Joel helps us, <laughs> we help you, it all works. And so that's one of the biggest things is I think that it's going to move to be a more simplistic structure. And so it has, it's not 20 different products that you need. You now have the ones that focus on what your specific need is. What kind of practice do you want? Are you trying to be this huge ensemble? Or are you trying to be a boutique practice? And so... I think it's going to move towards a more simplistic. And so even with those deliverables too, for clients, like the one page plan, people, that's yeah, what clients well, really want. Yeah. I'm not sure I believe totally in the one page plan because I think that's <laughs> taken it a little too far. It seems to be, you know, a hot topic now, but depending on your circumstances, one page probably doesn't cover it all. I agree. Um, it, I, and I okay. do think simple, not simplistic. So I think making things simple, because I think a lot of advisors tend to overcomplicate things. But the one thing you didn't touch on that I think we discussed briefly at T3 is in order to do all of this, you need the data. Right. And, you know, your firm is large enough that you need to have, you know, your own data warehouse, your own data lake, because in order to do this mass personalization, you need to have much more data about the people. Right. And you need right. to control that data. And right now, a lot of that data resides with 20 different vendors and it's not in one central location. So I think for firms of scale, you know, once you reach a certain scale like you guys have, it's going to become increasingly common for you to have your own data warehouses and or data lakes. Right. And basically have one center of truth yep. and then everything pushes out from there. 
For smaller firms, I think it's going to be more of a challenge, and they're going to have to rely on a third party to do that. So, Joel, keep pulling on that thread because I really feel like there is like these tectonic plates shifting in the industry right now where some of our bigger fintech vendors in the industry are like, one size fits all. We're going to acquire every piece of you know technology that an advisor might need in order to build their firm, and and then you have you know to to your point, firms of scale like RFG who are really going in the opposite direction of like I want to take control of the entire ecosystem and the data. So how do you see that playing out? Yeah, I, I do think it's kind of a barbell kind of situation. I think for firms that can that have the scale to do it. More and more of them are going to take more control of their own data. And I think for firms that don't have the scale, they'll have to, you know, in some cases, they will rely on an all-in-one solution or close to all-in-one, because I think we can agree that there's nobody out there today that's strong, you know, in all of even the major verticals, financial planning, um, you know, CRM, portfolio management, rebalancing, and whatever, marketing, whatever else you need. There's nobody that does all of those things well. Right. Right. So you'll need more than one vendor. And and I think part of the challenge there is not all of the vendors are playing as as nicely as they used to with all of the other vendors. And so that's why it's advantageous for you guys to go in the direction I assume you're going to go. And others are going to have to make some compromises. How much of your consulting business now is kind of split between those two barbells? Yeah, a good amount. And, you know, for a small to mid-sized firm, you know, there's decisions that have to be made. There's trade-offs, right? If you want deeper integration, you're going to have to go as close as you can to an all-in-one, but then you may have one, you know, one aspect of that platform that's weaker than you'd like it to be. And others are going to say, well, I'm giving up something on the deep integration, but I really need to have, you know, XYZ financial planning software because that's a lot of my value prop. Right. Yep. So there's not always a perfect solution, unfortunately, for everybody. You just touched on one of my favorite topics. I felt like 2022 was the year of the specialized financial planning solution. And it was a little bit like I'm old school, Baskin and Robbins, like 31 flavors. I couldn't open my email without a hyper-targeted financial planning solution being pitched to us. And I get it because it is in the advisor's comfort zone. Like they are at their core, their superpower, they're amazing financial planners. So it's an area where I think that they they feel like, oh, there is a silver bullet and it's this highly specialized financial planning. And that's going to be what I'm going to, how I'm going to differentiate myself and how I'm going to drive growth in my firm. And it will be my competitive advantage. But it one, two questions. The first one is, are we just splitting hairs on this thing? And there's a lot of window dressing. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you that question first, which is around the explosion of financial planning solutions. Are we just 31 flavors of vanilla? No, see that I don't think is true. I think a lot of these specialized products have come about because somebody has noticed that there's a gap, Right. Right. I mean, if you think back five, six, seven years ago, it was like social security planning was all the rage, right? Yeah. 
Right. And there clearly was a need for it because the so-called comprehensive planning packages were very, very weak across the board when it came to Social Security. Today, you see it to some extent in um, estate planning, even though one could argue that e-money and now money guide um, are fairly strong in that area. They both have some gaps. Um, and it may not be on the planning side. It may be through the whole, let's say, estate planning workflow. And so you need other products to fill in. But to anticipate your next question, you know, what ends up happening is when somebody finds a need and it's, it's obvious that advisors are willing to pay for whatever that is, be it social security planning or something else, what ends up happening is that the comprehensive planning software either builds it or buys it. Yep. Right. So they, those firms either get bought out or they get co-opted by, you know, the existing players. Which is, yeah, I think that's exactly the point. Like it is, so we've had this hyper-focus and now we have all these specialized financial planning tools that are out there, which again, I believe there's room for them, but it is a little, I would take the other, you know, you know me, Joel, I'm going to dust it up with you. I take the other side of that because what we're seeing coming through, you know, the, the requests from advisors is I'm looking for that silver bullet. So yes, right. I am solving on the margin for this highly specialized situation, but what I'm really looking for is like, help me grow help me have a, you know, a differentiated client experience. Right. Well, I mean, something like FPLF, I think is unique, right? And nobody's doing that and nobody's doing it the way they are, right? So that's an area where I doubt, at least initially, somebody else is going to try and build that. At some point, they may try and buy that, right? Agreed. But there are other areas where, you know, there's not really some unique intellectual property where I think if the need is there, people will build, you know, will build it. But, you know, if when I'm estate planning is another example, you know, we highlighted that in the 2022 um, T3 Inside Information Tech Survey. We said there's, you know, there's really little uptake in specialized estate planning software. And our conclusion was because most of it just isn't very good. And then over the next 12 months, you've seen an explosion of new firms coming out, right, trying to fill that gap. And it's not so much just on the planning side. It's the whole workflow, right? It's actually the execution side. Right. And dealing and think, with the documents as well. And I think that helps even focus more for the advisor. Like that's going to be a positive for them because it puts them back in that point guard or quarterback seat so that now they're the ones that get to manage that whole process. Because with yeah. that estate planning, now you can use a product for that and you can still handle that process, be the one that implements that for the client. Because we all know that the, there's a very big gap of people that actually need an estate plan that don't have one. And I'll tell you what the next one is even going to be. How about that? <laughs> okay. So the next one's going to be PNC. Because yeah. if you look at, you know, the financial planning process and what the CFP board says, you know, PNC is definitely part of what advisors are supposed to be advising on and almost no advisors do. And right. part of the reason is because there's no really good software that helps them easily right. identify the gaps. Well, that's where FP Alpha is clearly going next. Yeah. I think you're going to see an announcement over the next couple of months. And once that comes out, I think it's going to change the way people approach PNC. And I think it's a way that advisors will differentiate themselves because they'll be some advisors will be doing it. And initially, 
most advisors will just keep doing what they're doing, which is nothing in that area. And the ones that do get involved early on are really going to be able to differentiate. Yeah. Which is a perfect setup for, there was a fantastic study that Fidelity just released and it's titled, it's time to change your mind about young investors. And it's just chock-a-block full of all kinds of stats. But one that just screamed off the page for me was 67% of Gen YZ wants an advisor that provides services beyond financial advice and investment management. 67%. And what they're basically saying is, I want my advisor to um, deliver for me. What I am valuing is fulfillment and peace of mind. So with that as like, oh my gosh, you know, the next generation. And if you compare that to the baby boomers, the numbers are upside down. Yep. How do you, th- I mean, this is now we're in your like, welcome to your love language of behavioral finance. 67% are saying what I value, fulfillment, peace of mind. I want something more than financial planning and uh, investment management. How do you think that changes the industry? I think it's already been moving in that direction. You know, there were a lot of conversations a few years ago about margin compression. And, and a lot of firms said, well, you know, we're still charging what we always charge or, you know, our margins are fine. But right. when you delve into what they're really doing, They've all added extra services. Right. So they're charging the same amount, but they're giving more value and providing more for the same. So this is, I think, just an extension of that. You know, another example of it, and we could argue about whether he's right or wrong, but Mark Hurley released a white paper at T3. And the gist of it was that, you know, advisors should also be advising their clients, especially their high net worth and ultra high net worth clients on cybersecurity. So... Again, it's partially peace of mind. It's partially life coaching. Um, depending on how far you take it, you know, it could be advisors taking on some additional liability there as well. But I didn't necessarily take it that way. I think there's some very basic things that you should be doing, you know, with your high net worth clients to make sure they're safe and referring them to specialists, just like we do in other areas. And I think there's going to be more and more of that where the advisor is going to be more of a life coach for this Gen Z, if you will, than just a financial coach. And part of that's behavioral finance, because a lot of it does have to do with, you know, behavior modification. And, you know, just to give another example, historically, you know, advisors have always just had to really pay attention to the asset side of the balance sheet because they could. And now, you know, I think in this environment, again, with interest rates getting higher, and a lot of uh, younger investors having a lot of debt, you know, the liability side of the balance sheet is going to be just as important. So, you know, I just see it as a continuation of existing trends, but some of them are going to accelerate into certain areas um, a lot faster than many advisors have anticipated. Let's put it that way. Jordan? Yeah, I, I truly feel that human behavior is ever present in every situation of financial planning. And I think the industry as a whole is starting to grasp those other areas and show that, hey, there is a human behavior piece to it. And there's other ways now that we can bill on those. So it might be an AUM fee paired with a financial planning fee because you are doing some of that life coaching or some of that coaching instead of being more of a sales or a product, you're now a guide, a sounding board and a partner in the decision making. And so I think that's where a lot of the industry is going because 
technology allows that the new fee structures allow that. So I, I, I'm all in and I can talk about that stuff all day because I love it. And I think that's really where a huge value add from a lot of advisors coming from. And again, this is not new. George Kinder wrote books about this, you know, life planning and life coaching 20 plus years ago. It was just considered, you know, sort of outside the norm then. And I think, you know, the industries to some extent come around to that way of thinking. I, not exactly maybe the way that George envisioned it for, for sure. you know, older, higher net worth clients. But I think, you know, it's just kind of evolved, if you will, into something that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I, I think that it's like anything, it's we have, you know, certain products that advisors love. They have their planning software of choice. They have certain things they love. It's the same now with certain views and lenses of the behavioral world. Kinder had a very direct and like lens that he had on the industry and how he saw life planning. But now there's other advocates and leaders in the space and even how we do at RFG, how we see it and how we see how it almost what what we would call. And this is something Shannon and I've talked about is we call like the circle of excellence. And it's truly where the advisor, if they're a mindset, their well-being and their focus, that's going to impact the client. And then when the client now you actually have them implementing some of our recommendations because we all know that implementation gap with clients. And so client success means the advisor's success. And so you have this circle that keeps going. And so that's a, a big thing that with this behavioral science, behavioral finance piece, if we're working to be better advisors and better humans and our higher well-being, it's going to impact the whole relationship and just keep going in a circle. Yeah, I agree. I, I really think that you know part of the struggle has been sometimes getting people just to follow your advice. Right. And and that's all behavioral, right? Sounds like teenagers. Yeah, it is. So to the extent that, you know, behavioral finance helps get you to the finish line, you know, that's what really matters. So I I want to hear you guys dust it up a little bit, because I think that one of the big missing puzzle pieces for behavioral coaching and finance and life coaching that needs to come into play is the client portal. The client portal experience is still so developed through the lens that we all are very comfortable in, which is finance. And you step outside our world into the real world and you interact with consumer apps, whether they're shopping apps or social media apps or really anything, sports apps. It's so much more fun. And yet, you know, the experience in client portals where I feel woefully behind in syncing up this conversation around life coaching and what we're actually delivering. Well, think about it. I mean, think about where portals originated, right? They originated almost exclusively from portfolio management software packages with the exception of e-money, right? And so what did they show? They showed performance. Right, right, which is the, probably the least important thing that you want to show, and sending totally the wrong message. Right. Short-term performance instead of long-term meeting your goals. And I think you know you're starting to see again the evolution there. It's taken way longer than it should have, but more and more, I think you're starting to see portals evolve to be more around goals-driven. I don't know um, if you guys saw, you know, Summit Wealth's presentation at T3, but that's what they're all about, right? It's like tying the portfolio into goals. That's kind of what Libretto's about. That's what Nebo is about. They're all preaching the same thing, which is let's redesign this so it actually makes sense for the client and talks to where, you know, 
what their real concerns are. Right. Yeah. Right. But it's just taken way too long. Yeah. And I think with the client portal too, it's, it's all about those expectations. Like you said, with, if you're going to have a ticker tape going across and you're also going to have, you know, your performance, then that's the expectations that you want your clients to to communicate to you and talk to you about, which is absolutely not what we want them to talk about. We've all talked about turn CNBC off in your office, like restructure how you're sitting with your clients. Like all these things matter to the relationship. And so the client portal side, I, I jokingly say this, but we would love to have a client portal that's like Instagram because yeah. we all have purchased many things on there. And for some reason, they know us extremely well and they even find us little specific things. And so how do we create a personalized experience for our clients that have that same feeling when they log in? It's focused on what is purposeful to them and what is something salient to them instead of, hey, here's your performance. Here's your balance. Right. Have a good but day. But that goes back to what I said earlier about you guys controlling the data, right? Right. Like yep. How does Amazon do that? Amazon right. does that because they know a hell of a lot about me. Too right? much. Yeah. Too much, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, I had a friend who was working on that suggestion engine years ago, getting it to go from a minute after you make a purchase to 10 seconds to come up with the next recommendation. And, you know, the amount of data you need and, and the computing power you need to do that is substantial. For you guys, obviously, you have a much smaller group of it, you know, end clients. You can do the same things yeah. today. The technology is available to do right. it. But again, it all starts with your yeah. unstructured data. You need to have the data in order to be able to do that. And if it's sitting on somebody else's cloud, you can't do that. It has right. to be sitting on your cloud. And I think that's one thing with advisors already have the data, like you said, we have these built-out CRMs. We have the all of the the interactions and login and how they're all all those notes from our relationships. Like you said, you know, AI and ChatGBT. Some of the greatest thing is being able to take these large amounts of data and giving you a summary. Yep. Well, if you have ten years of client notes from right. meeting with them, you're going to pull out so many little nuggets that might be like, "Hey, here's an anniversary date," or "Hey." This is something that was really purposeful to this relationship. Yep. How do you take all that and you can pull it out? That's that's where it's at. That's, that's, where the that's like is. whiteboard dreams are made of. <laughs> okay, so Joel, last question for you. Money is unlimited. You've got as much capital, access to capital. What would you build? Yeah, I'd probably build that, that AI solution, that next comprehensive financial solution for advisors and their clients that basically could do everything. Back like to it. AI eats the world. Yeah. I agree yeah, with you. I mean, I, again, I don't think when I say do everything, I don't mean without an advisor in there. I think right, of course. part of it, but I think it would do all the grunt work, right? It would be like the, the financial assistant on steroids. Right. We just do everything for you. So you could do the high level stuff and the personal stuff and, you know, all the calculations, all the presentations, all the financial plans would just be there. Jordan and I whiteboard this and have, you know, are sketching what 3.0 tech stack looks like. And one of our dreams is on, is to, you know, just a micro point of what you just made on the advisor single pane of glass 
really being able to track on a weekly basis, how am I spending my time so that you could have this immediate feedback loop. I mean, everybody loves their Apple watch because it's like, oh, I closed my circle. You know, it's this feedback loop of, am I aligned on my mission, vision values for what I want to do for my clients, for what I want to do for my family and for my life? Having that, you know, that toolkit, as you said, behind you, that's delivering all that information. So you're operating in this sphere of like the highest and best use of an advisor's time and their greatest superpower is meeting with clients and prospecting. Right. And the other thing is, you know, which I think is a little more low hanging fruit and simpler to get to is next best action, right? Right. Which is kind of the same thing you're talking about, but on a lower scale. It's like an advisor comes in every morning, they got 20 to do's. And one may be overdue for three days, but that may be a low priority item. So what do I tackle first in the morning? What do I tackle second, right? What's mission critical that I absolutely have to get to today? And if you can just help guide an advisor on those things, I think you're already halfway there. Right. Well, and that's one of the things I've had uh, probably way too many conversations with Crosby about is uh, thinking about just when, if your client is logging into their portal, looking at their account, it's been in the last week, say they logged in 10 times, something's going on. Exactly. That's a perfect time right. to say, hey, you know what? I need to go give uh, Susanne a call because either she's about to make a purchase, she's about to either withdraw something, or yep. she is terrified of the market. Yeah. And so right. small items like that, that can all leverage an advisor to be better. And that's the tech. And advisors aren't doing that today, right? Like I remember when I was an advisor and I could see in Money Guide when any of my clients logged into the portal, I would call them immediately. Yeah. Right. It just made sense. Something's up. If I know somebody who almost never looks at their client portal and they go in there, something's up. Something's Something's up. Something's going on. Well, this has been, I knew this was going to be awesome. This is so much fun. We could go on and on and on. Maybe we'll make this chapter one. We'll have a, a, a follow on on this, but I think we all agree. This is probably one of the most exciting and disruptive times in our industry. And if you haven't already like leaned in passionately and enthusiastically to technology and the great benefit of uh, optimizing your workflows and optimizing your practice. It is uh, long overdue and time to get on board. Yeah, I would say if anybody hasn't reviewed their tech stack in the last 18 to 24 months, they're probably behind already. And if you don't have somebody in your office who's thinking strategically like you guys are about what comes next, you're also falling behind because all yeah. the best and the brightest have multiple people spending a lot of time trying to figure out on what the next thing they need to do is. And if you're not doing it, you're in trouble. I mean, mic drop on that moment. Joel, thank you so much for being with us on Disruption Blueprint. And Jordan, this was awesome. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Disruption Blueprint podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.rfgadvisory.com or schedule a call on our advisor resources page. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Content here is for illustrative purposes and general information only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific training strategy. Information here may be provided in part by third-party sources. These sources are generally deemed to be reliable. However, neither our guests nor RFG advisory guarantee the accuracy of third-party sources. 
The views expressed here are those of our guest. They do not necessarily represent those of RFG Advisory, its employees, or its clients. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by RFG Advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, LLC, RFG Advisory or RFG, a registered investment advisor. Private client services and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place. RFG Advisory is an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of RFG by the Commission, nor does it indicate that RFG or any associated investment advisory representative has attained a particular level of skill or ability.